you freaking auto? This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. I found myself thinking about the trade deadline last night, Brock. Today is a week since the trade deadline, and unfortunately, uh, no Jeff passing today. He's uh, going to be unavailable. So that's the bad news. Good, good news on the other side of it. Mark Schlereth is in our building today, and he's going to uh, step in and hang out at eight thirty. So uh, nice. I know we'll uh, have to fend off the afternoon show. But uh, he was will... it spinal with Jeff? Is it spinal? It appears well, to be. Yeah. They had him yesterday, so they're probably going to be mad. Uh, I'm sure they will. Well, that's okay. I mean, no. he's here. He's he's hanging out this morning. <laughs> no, so Mark's going to come Mark in. Schlereth. I mean, what do you do? Not talk to Mark Schlereth when he's here? Plus, I think we have some some questions for him specifically. Oh. But I was thinking about the trade deadline last night, Brock, and and realizing. I think the Mariners, uh, you know, a week later and trying to clarify what I believe, the Mariners, I think, made themselves better and gave themselves a better chance to get to the playoffs by trading from strength to improve a weakness. And we'll see what happens. Canzone, you know, has not done a ton at the plate yet, nor certainly has Rojas. Rojas. So, Combined two for 25 right. so far. This has not been a fantastic start, no, slow start. for them to, uh, you know, kind of get going. And, and that doesn't mean they won't. I've been kind of in doing some research, especially on Rojas. I talked to some folks in Arizona and mm-hmm. heard that he might be a little bit of a sensitive soul who could take some time to kind of get used to being in a new place, being in a new spot, the you know, just the changes around him, mm-hmm. et cetera. So we'll see what happens. But I think they've made themselves better for the next two months. I would also think that if they make the playoffs and have some success, they've probably lowered their chances of winning the World Series. That the team, the 25-man roster they've created for the rest of this year is improved for that. Mm. But that the 25-man roster they had a few days ago might have given them a better chance to win the World Series. And, and am I missing something? Is this just Seawald yeah. and basically Rojas and, and Yeah, Kinsen, I mean, right? I'm just, just thinking through it and going, all right, let, let's... T- well, get- that's not fair. I, you know, I shouldn't minimize that. They also moved on from A.J. Pollock and cleared a path for more Cade Marlowe. Yep. You know, you know, so there, I, I should probably but I, I guess I was, I was specifically talking about the Paul Seawald thing. Okay. Right? Like, I think adding some bats has been incredibly important for them, even if it's just a professional at bat that doesn't always end in a hit. I think those things have been important and will continue to be for the next two months. I think if you were to make the playoffs and start to have some success, I'm trying to imagine this team locking it down in late game situations. And that's not to say that Brash can't do it and can't grow into it or Munoz, et cetera. But having that that calming presence at the end of Paul Seawald, yep. I think was pretty darn helpful and would be in that situation. Yeah, I I, I, I tend to agree with that. I just um, signed me up with many others. That was such a gigantic, including yourself and everybody on our show and everybody at the station, such a gigantic Paul Seawald guy, mm-hmm. not just because of how he handled those leverage situations, but because he took the ball every single time. You need me three days in a row, I'll pitch three days in a row. Right? I mean, he, he was a bulldog, and I do think here in August and September, you're going to feel some of that. Now, they've cleared a path, right? They've cleared a path and given these next guys the opportunity. All these guys watch Paul work. I, I'm sure they were impacted. I think they would each tell you that. When you're around somebody like that, that is just such a tough competitor. Um, so, it, it, and you know, so far, 
so good. <laughs> been a little been a little tenuous at times. Sure. <laughs> with with both Brash and but some of those moments. But it was tenuous at times with Seawall too. Of it course. wasn't like he was Edwin Diaz and you know, striking out the side with trumpets every single time. I mean it, it was it was more about his toughness and I, I guess I've got to see that from Mooney and from Brash and from Topa and from all of those guys that are probably going to get more of an opportunity collectively than just as individual um, as Paul attacked. Yeah, it. I think that's probably a good point. And and you know, and then you start looking at days off, right? They had yesterday off. They only have three more this month. They have a, a stretch of what. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 games in a row. Uh, and then you're going to have another stretch in, in from August into September that's a pretty tough one as well. So, yeah, I mean, you will probably have some of those moments. That's a good point, Brock, his ability to take the ball every day. I still think that they needed the bats. And and if Canzone, et cetera, can kind of come through in a few big moments, you'll say that the deals were worth it, especially mm-hmm. because of how long you have them moving forward, et cetera. But I do think that you make it there and like, gosh, I really loved Matt Brash in the moment he was in before coming Mm -hmm. in in the seventh men on base. His command wasn't necessarily didn't have to be pinpoint. His ability to strike guys out was absolutely maximized. And now you're talking about maybe bringing Brash in for a clean inning in the ninth. It's a different game. It's a different, you know, a, a different skill set. And it was interesting yeah. to me that he really didn't kick in the other night until he put a man on base <laughs> right. and got himself into a problem. And it was like, oh, okay, wait, now I'm familiar with this. I know how to get myself back out of it. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I I really hope that they can keep this thing going and, and make this something we get to find out about. Yeah. But we'll see what happens. Right. Well, I will be curious on a couple fronts. Not, number one, there is no waiver pickup, right? That started what last year, That's the year before. Done. So your your team is set. You're you're not picking up somebody like you used to be able to do in in August, late August, anything like that. However, you do have two guys that have contributed, that have played. Um, one one guy who played a pivotal role last year that got no credit for it because it wasn't exemplary statistically. But from a team standpoint, Marco Gonzalez took the ball in eight innings and protected guys and, and you know, stayed in games longer and, and didn't really care about what it meant to his ERA. And and that that's still a name that I'm just curious of because, golly, you talk about August and September for your young arms and for Wu and Miller, you know it would be nice? Skipping a start. You know it would be nice? Marco being able to eat some of those mm-hmm. innings. But we just have not hardly heard boo when it comes to him. We've seen him in the dugout. But we've not heard boo. And then the other one's going to be Jared. <laughs> you know, when Jared eventually does come back. And, you know, you know that he's going to be like Tariq Woolen. You know that he's out there right now. <laughs> what was what was Pete's word? Extraordinary. His Just workouts extra- were extraordinary. Extraordinary workouts right now. <laughs> he is fighting to get back on this roster. So you do at least, you know, in Jared, you're going to get back. Marco, I don't know. But, man, would it be beneficial here over the next 50 games to, to get both of them back? And then I would add further, if I'm if I'm arguing your point, I do think their youth and athleticism helps. It does, and that being Rojas and Canzone, it just looks versus a little Pollock bit and Wong. Yeah, yes, you know what? We, we need to bunt. We need to steal. We need to get first third. We need to put you know play defense. We need to play these multiple spots. You need to handle the dog days of August that will be coming, as you said, in some of these stretches. 
and to have some youthful exuberance and some athleticism, I do think will I help. do think it'll help to have Dylan Moore and uh, uh, Rojas and Caballero. I mean, you're talking about three athletic guys that can move around a little bit and, and put them into some different situations, run around. I oh, agree by the way, you. don't look now. Um, have you noticed what Haggerty's been doing the last few Is weeks? he starting to hit again? Uh, finally starting to hit. That would be great. I, I miss, think he was the PCL player of the week. I miss Sam uh, Haggerty, don't you? Like we'll I missed the that. guy that was here last year that came in and, and changed games for them. He didn't look like the same player early this season off those the pressure. He was just cold or yeah. what. But yeah. yeah, that would be great to get some more action like that back here at the at the major league level. So uh Mariners starting their big series with the Padres. Just a quick two gamer tonight. They get a little We got better on later. Huh? You got Eddie on later? Eddie better? I mean Eddie I, better I don't, I don't have any plans for Eddie. We're not know. talking Eddie better? Justin, you didn't hook that up at 9.30? Justin, why didn't you hook up Eddie Vedder? I thought you and Eddie were boys. My people are on it, you guys. Oh, they're on it. (laughs) Justin's busy fixing people's podcasts. He doesn't have time to to go talk to Eddie Vedder. He's got to deal with our video system. Uh, Coming up next, Brock will give you everything you need to know, including some new thoughts on what's left of the Pac-12. And then at 7.30, you know who's joining us? The man with the giant knees himself, my favorite young Seahawk. Derek Hall. Can't wait. Don't go anywhere. It's Brock and Salt. Sales Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, a huge homestand starts tonight for the Mariners. Padres will be in for a quick two-gamer before a tough weekend matchup with the Orioles. Love both of these series. They point out some of the comps, right, with the Mariners. The Padres spent $252 million third highest payroll in baseball, bought a bunch of big name stars and have totally fallen flat 55 and 58 on the season. The Orioles third lowest payroll in baseball, but might be its best team. And with a killer farm system to boot, they're going to be good for some time. It puts the Mariners kind of right in the middle of all that. A chance to keep a hot streak going. They'll turn to Logan Gilbert to do it tonight. Uh, Padres lost Joe Musgrove to an injury. So they're going to try a little bullpen day. This is a good opportunity, right, to kind of keep things going. Toronto keeps winning. The Rangers keep winning. Yep. You're going to have to do the same. Mark DeRosa, MLB Network, likes what the Mariners have. And you can bring out Andres Munoz, who punches tickets. Matt Brash averages 15.1K per nine. Wow. I mean, the guy has got just disgusting stuff. Ugh. And then you add in Justin Topa, Tyler Saucedo. Tyler came in yesterday, gave them multi-innings to close this out. He went 9 and 10 in extras. So Seattle, listen, young starters, guys who can take you deep, the superstar in J-Rod, back end of a bullpen that's nasty. There's a reason we think, you know, they can make a run. Was that was that filmed at a, a sports bar? Hey, that's what they do, man. Tempe, Scottsdale, <laughs> playing the hits. Oh, it was actually an MLB Network segment where they were talking about the dance they do after the game. So they were taking a bunch nice. of Mariners players mm. and naming them after dances like oh. the tango and the. Oh, oh nice. That's a reach. I, I, I believe he's been pretty excited about what the Mariners have done the last couple years. Yep. And he likes that punch and tickets. He does. That is his. That is his go-to right there, man. These guys punch some tickets. And and you mentioned Toronto and Texas, and I'll be one, especially with a, an off night last night for the Mariners. You just kind of look around and. Well, what's everybody else doing? The Angels are plummeting. The Yankle, the Yankees are plummeting, and the Rangers are won seven in a row. Got the A's right now. Probably make that nine in a row. So as you said, got to find a way to keep winning. You split with the Padres down there. 
after sweeping away those angels. Sure be fun to stay hot as you come home. Here's the second thing you need to know. Pretty amazing. We're just two days away from preseason game number one, huh? Seahawks will host the Vikings on Thursday night. Apparently a real chippy practice yesterday. A couple scuffles, etc. That energy so key to what Pete has built here. Mark Schlereth, who's going to join us at 8.30. On with Wyman and Bob yesterday saying that's exactly the kind of culture that the coach has created. What Pete Carroll has created here from a cultural standpoint and just an energy and practice standpoint, it's pretty special. Um, I think there, I think there are times when the competition is so good at practice that um, they don't even realize they're working hard. And, and it's, and I'm just telling you, it doesn't happen everywhere. Mm-mm. And the speed and the tempo and the things that they've created here. Um, and like I said, man, I bounce around the league. I'm, you know, I'm in pretty much every facility. Um, it just doesn't. It just doesn't happen very often. So it's it's. I can see why there's been so much success. So many young players, you know, having success, and I can see why that that the Seattle Seahawks are always, you know, are always pretty formidable. Yeah, and Mark's obviously, you know, was a terrific player, multiple Super Bowl champion, a, a, a Pro Bowl caliber offensive lineman, and he's been in this Denver market for a long time since his playing days. He'd been over doing the media, doing the morning show, and and he's seen the Vic Fangio's. And then last year, he watched Nathaniel Hackett try to bring the music in, try to bring the fun, try to bring the the you know all of the stuff. And you can bring the carnival to town, but if you don't know how to operate it, and you don't really know how it works, it doesn't work. And I think that's what Mark is saying. That hey man, he Pete is new age. He's new school. He's fun. These guys have an absolute blast. The music is blaring, but man, there is old school level competition in that is what I think separates it makes it pretty darn unique. Yeah, I also like the idea of being almost tricked into working that hard so that you don't even notice what you're doing. I think it's a great description of what Pete has built here and why they've had so much success over the years. Uh, Meanwhile, on the field, Trey Brown just continues to stand out and start a corner. Curious to see how that conversation goes over the course of the next few weeks. Can they find themselves into a lot of dime situations? If they can stop the run, then this team should really have a, a great edge on third downs and late in uh, in down sequences if they can get all those guys out on the field. Here's the third thing you need to know. Just listening, Brock, yesterday and talking about some of these scenarios that have come out regarding the remaining four teams in the Pac-12. Some of them make some sense. Some of them really don't. I mean, talking to Kyle yesterday, it sounds like there's, you know, some thought that Wazoo and Oregon State could end up in the Big 12 down the road, maybe not in year one, which would be, quite frankly, a gift that could save them from some of the conversation we had yesterday. Then I heard Stanford to the Big 12, and I did a spit take and laughed out loud. Stanford and Cal to the ACC. From an academic standpoint, it makes more sense, mm-hmm. but it's still hard for me to imagine they're going to be the two schools from the West Coast and the ACC. It just doesn't quite ring true. Yeah, I think you understand now that the Band-Aid's been totally ripped off and you've started to hear from presidents. You've started to hear anecdotes from sources behind the scenes of just what a mess the last 12 months have been. Is they have had meeting after meeting after meeting. I think the the president of Wazoo, Mr. Schultz, was saying there've been some thirty meetings over the last twelve months to try to get a media deal. And then the longer they waited, some of those traditional folks pulled out. The original numbers reeked of such hubris and arrogance that Chris Peterson was talking about with us yesterday. Of like, how did you mismanage this? What are, what are we doing? Your head is in the sand. 
you're not just, wow, we're the Pac-12 and we're the Conference of Champions and we're the esteemed schools on the coast and we have an academic hierarchy and pedigree better than anybody. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What, what these media partners want and what, what's going on in the SEC and the Big Ten is for you to take care of business on the field, for you to have marquee games and filled stadiums and create eyeballs and ratings. And is that deteriorated? So, unfortunately, did these media deals to a point that I, I think the, the Arizona president was quoted as saying that when the Apple deal was presented, this feels like we're selling candy bars Right to fund our high school program. What are we doing here? This is not going to work. That is everything you need to know. We do a quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk show. Uh, all right. So just to kind of run down a little bit of what's to come today. As I mentioned, no, uh, no Jeff Passan. He's, uh, he's on the IL today again. So Mark Schlereth going to step in. He's here in the building doing his show remotely while he was out at Seahawks practice. So Mark will step in at 830, which is always fun. We might have a surprise or two for Mark. Um, we got our most intriguing Seahawk at eight o'clock today, Brock, and it's mm. a good one. Before before we get to any of it, though, Derek Hall has just been kind of a revelation since please, showing up here. Please do me and Maura and Justin a favor. The what? three of us agree with this. Don't bring up his knees again. All right? I know you're not looking at him, so you're not staring at him. He's, he's down. But just don't bring up his knees. Did I bring them up with him the last time? Yes. Like, he brought up the whole deal. It was like, wow, you've got really big legs. Wow, you've got really and, – and, and I blame myself. Again, I, I take responsibility for what I've done to you from you a know. body standpoint, image standpoint, and everything else. Just, you know, let's see if we can do this without bringing up his knees. He's got That's really all. big knees. <laughs> I mean, just his whole – I mean, can we talk about the shorts? Yeah, you can bring up I mean, shorts. I think once yeah. you're wearing shorts that show off your legs the way his do, yeah. you're essentially asking for radio hosts to ask about your knees, No. Well, the quadzilla. I'm going to go quads. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. But not the gigantic knees. All Correct. right. Well, regardless, he's going to join us next. He's been one of the true revelations at camp. He's been awesome and looking forward to talking to him. Coming up on Brock and Salk. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. A lot of reasons to be excited about this Seahawks team, Brock. We've spent a lot of time talking about what they've got in the secondary and the competition there. Obviously, the wide receiver core, when that group is fully healthy, running back group, offensive. I mean, like there's <coughs> excuse me, quite a, quite a few reasons to like and be excited for this season. But what we've seen at the edge rusher, outside linebacker spot, the youth that's there and some of the competition in that room, Pretty darn impressive and maybe as as competitive as any position out on the field. Derek Hall, big reason for that. And he joins us right now. Derek, good morning. How's camping going for you? Good morning. Good morning. How y'all doing? Camp's going great. Oh, Derek, we're doing good. Do you remember talking to us two knuckleheads after the draft? <laughs> I do. Oh, yeah. really? Really? <laughs> uh, do you remember what Salk was asking you about? Dude. You know, what, 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 what? Because I asked him about his knees? Do yeah. You, to, why, you just said not to bring it up, and now you I said, the interview. Well, I said, you can't bring it up. Oh, you know, you I was can? Just, yeah, I was just curious <laughs> if, Derek, if Derek remembered that, you know? It's just, it, was, it was memorable for us. Oh, it was, God. I mean, we really... <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, go ahead, Salk. Ask him, you know, about the the next question then. About the no, next... I'm not starting with his shorts. Bumping Stacey already asked him about that. I have, I have, like, actual football questions for the poor guy. Jeez. <laughs> Let me be the serious person here. Derek, uh, pads came on, what, about a week ago. How did everything change when the pads came on? Oh, right. Um, I mean, there really isn't much of a change um, just besides, you know, thudding up the ball. 
uh, you know, you still have to run and hit, tag off. Um, but, you know, if that ball carries in front, you better make sure you throw them up. But, I mean, the physicality piece is, is definitely huge at this level. You don't get many opportunity, many opportunities to put the pads on to get them popping a little bit. So when you do, you definitely have to take advantage of it. So, um, you know, it's been fun, and, you know, we're hitting them and running. Did the mock games step it up a little bit, speed and, and tempo and, and violence at all? Uh, the mock game was it was it felt more like a real game. Uh, the tempo was definitely a little bit faster. We were going, we did everything, but tackle to the ground. So the thuds were a lot harder. Um, you know, just really trying to get that feel for a really, really full speed game uh, as far as special teams, offense, defense, uh, just all three phases of the game. Just really try to get that full speed tempo. So you see what it's like. So when it, when we get down there to Thursday against Minnesota Luma Field, you know we'll kind of have a feel and hopefully it'll be a lot easier for us. How's your body holding up? Body's good. Body's good. Uh, moving around, you know, doing everything that I have to do to you know, keep myself going, uh, and whether that be taking care of my body or, you know, doing stuff at home. So, you know, just what, whatever I have to do to keep making myself available every single day is what I'm doing. I'm going to guess the uh, the training camp up here in the Pacific Northwest on the shores of Lake Washington, a little different than in Mississippi, a little different than in South Alabama, the heat, humidity, uh, a little bit different as far as some of the previous camps you've had in your life. Oh, completely different. Uh, everybody complained about how hot it is. I'm like, man, this is perfect weather for me. Uh, you know, having training camp down there in Alabama at Auburn, man, it's, it's freaking hot. Uh, yesterday was the first day I've, I've sweated through my shoes since college, and I was like, dang. But, uh, nah, man, the weather, the weather is immaculate. It's great weather. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to take advantage of it while we have it. You sweat through your shoes? Yeah, I did. What's that mean? Just like I'm, I'm sweating so much like my, like my shoes are soaked. <laughs> that seems like it would make it really hard to play football. Has that happened to you a lot? Uh, and during during um, fall camp at college, it did a lot. But, I mean, yesterday was the first time it happened here. So, so like when you're running, you're just spitting sweat off your shoes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like, running, <laughs> running, like running in the water or something. Uh-huh. Uh, Derek, rookie moments. We, we always hear from guys that, you know, there's kind of a welcome to the NFL moment. I know you haven't been in, in live action against other teams yet. But have you had any kind of, oh, wow, this is a little bit different rookie kind of moments yet? Uh, not, not really. Uh, as far as the rookie duties, I, I would say that's the biggest thing right now. Uh, you know, going through all that, just it's, it's, it's all fun and games, and it's just part of being a rookie. But other than that, uh, you know, not really. You have to carry somebody's pads. That a whole bunch more. <laughs> Whose pads do you have to carry? Uh, Chenna, um, he loves he loves the helmet deal. Uh, he like you know you, you know you had a great day of pressure day, so I'm gonna give you this helmet. Put it in my locker. Uh, but nah, man, we I mean we have a great room of guys. Um, you know they they help me out a lot. You know get me up to speed. Uh, just really trying to get this defense down so we can go out play fast, play physical, and run a hit so, so, without any hiccups. So maybe more seriously on that note, give me something that you've learned. I mean Pete likes to talk about how this is a developmental program, even at the pro level. They're teaching all the time. Give me something you've learned or something you've been taught in the first couple of weeks here uh just really just really pay attention to to formations and what that really gives you um you know in college it was it was a lot easier to do your job because you had one job here your job changes in the, in the middle of a play in the middle of a snap so i mean you just have to be aware of the different things uh you know that offense can present you with, with with different formations and kind of try to expect what's coming with that formation so you know what to look for um you know, in, in your job and in your rush. So we're just trying to pick up on little things like that, that those guys are, are, are really, really doing a good job of teaching me. Yeah, Derek, I like to call it, and Derek Hall here with us, the transition from what to do to why you're doing it, 
Right? Mm-hmm. It's one thing to line up, okay, this is what I do. I line up here, I line up here. But if that's all it is and that play happens at this level with all they're trying to do to you offensively, you don't understand the why, the game becomes a lot faster and a lot more difficult. Do you feel even just in a couple weeks and through OTAs, do you feel some of that transition slowing down a little bit? Just a little bit. Um, you know, during the spring, I was still trying to figure out the playbook a lot. Uh, you know, to really try to process my job as far as the call uh, <clears throat> when it came in, excuse me. But now um, it's, it's definitely a lot, a lot easier on me to be able to go out and, and execute my call and try to figure out why I'm doing this. And, uh, you know, just look at certain different things, you know, when they motion the wide receiver in and, you know, different things like that, um, you know, back to you, uh, you know, just, just percentages in my head too um, when it comes to pass and run and certain formations and certain personnel. So, yep. I mean, it's just little, little stuff like that that – that gives you the extra area to be successful. When you say percentages, you mean okay? When they, I know that when they line up in this personnel, this formation, there's a seventy thirty split for the pass. Is that the type of thing you mean? Exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah, that's what interesting. I mean. Trying to study those tendencies, right? What those what those guys are doing. So help me understand. You guys are kind of DNs. You kind of pass rushers. You kind of linebackers. You kind of wear a bunch of different hats. So whom do you meet with? Do you guys, is, is it just an outside linebacker meeting room? Are you with the inside linebackers? Are you sometimes with the D linemen? How does it work from a meeting room standpoint, Derek? Right. So obviously we meet as a unit to go over everything. And then we have a, we do have an outside linebacker room uh, who is coached by our coordinator, uh, Clint Hurt. So um, he's our outside linebacker coach as well. And sometimes we do do a full, full front meeting uh, with the D line. When we do have a lot of pass rush games, a lot of game days and different things like that. So, but most of the time, uh, we are in that outside linebacker room uh, on our own with Coach Hurt, you know, just going through the plays, clips, and different things like that. You mentioned that the pads coming on was just, you know, a little bit more. What was it like when you started doing the one-on-one pass rush drills? Uh, one-on-one pass rush night and day. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's different from college as far as the, the, the physical piece. It's not as physical, but, um, you know, it's definitely all mental. Um, I mean, this whole level of game is, is, is completely a lot more mental than it is physical, um, like I said. But, I mean, night and day with, with, with the pass rush one-on-one, man, it's, it's just it's what I'm used to. I, I love it. I enjoy doing it. So, you know, every single opportunity I get to go out and put a rep and put some good on tape, I try my best. I think people will hear that, Derek, and misunderstand that a little bit. It, what do you mean it's not as physical? This is the NFL. I mean, these are Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, and you're going to see over the course of the season, Trent Williams, the biggest, right. the baddest. What do you mean this is less physical than college? As as far as the aspect of like, so there's not many opportunities that you'll be able to put on pads in, in NFL. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of this game is mental. Um, these guys get paid a lot of money to make it to these games and, and, and play a whole season. So, uh, you know, that's the biggest aspect of it. You don't want to, you know, do something that's that's going to jeopardize a guy who's very, very detrimental to this team, um, you know, doing something like that. So, I mean, it's physical in the aspect of popping pads, but as far as like, I mean, like taking guys to the ground in college, like burying guys and, and, and different stuff like that, you just don't do that here. You're going to do it in the games though, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, good. I just want to, I want to make sure that's that's still part of the game once you get into the actual games. All right, I went long enough. I got to ask you about the shorts. And, I, you know, we asked Boye. You can't help but notice them. Look, man, I grew up in – I was born in 1978, so I'm now an old man. Right. But when we were in high school, 
the the basketball team, the the varsity team had the nice long shorts. Salk was on the JV team. You got to understand that. My sophomore year, how Uh dare you? I was on the (laughs) JV team, and we would have to wear these little shorts that you know they were like four inches long. Like John Stockton was wearing them. Larry Bird was wearing them in the seventies and eighties. Everyone wanted long shorts. When I see you out there with what you're wearing, I am confused. It is still like it doesn't quite <laughs> register that a person would want their shorts to be that small. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's something that I've done for a really, really long time. Uh, you know, even if you go back to Auburn, uh, you know, I was I was wearing the short shorts and different things like that. So uh, it's, it's, it's just kind of a part of me now. It's, it's kind of my swag and. I catch a lot of <clears throat> a lot of backlash for it from the guys for sure, Good. but uh, I mean it's, it's it's just part of it, are man. You, I I enjoy are it. Are you tucking the shorts up into the compression shorts to make them even shorter? Yeah, That's exactly. What I yeah, exactly. Wow, because they weren't short enough already. You needed to go even. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Good. Yeah, and then do you say to them, if you had these thighs, right. you do the you same? Tw- like, exactly. That's exactly uh, what right. I say. Like, <laughs> don't be mad that everybody can't look like this. <laughs> That's right. Thick thighs save lives, as some like to say. Hey, hey uh, last thing for me, Derek. Do you, have you placed yourself to Thursday night yet? I know you're in the moment. You're competing your tail off day to day and not taking anything for granted. But that mock game the other day in the stadium with a few fans there, have you placed yourself into Thursday night, putting on the uniform, playing in your first NFL game? That I have not. Um, I'm looking forward to that moment, but it's, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in a sense to where like I don't want to rest that um, because I know it's going to be really, really freaking special. Um, you know, to be able to have the opportunity to put on one a Seahawks uniform with all the legends that's, that's played here, uh, but, but before me, but also just being to have an opportunity to suit up in the NFL, man. Not not many people get the opportunity to do that, so I'm definitely looking forward to it. It's going to be a special, special moment for me uh, that night to be able to go out. And, you know, just play in battle and, uh, you know, see what I can do, you know, see what I'm capable of, of, of against the best of the best. So, I'm, I mean, I'm just really looking forward to it. Is mom making it out? Uh, No, I told her not to come. Uh, Yeah, so she's, you know, she, m- my mom isn't going to miss a game. But, um, you know, I, I told her not to come because I know we travel a lot during the regular season. We travel the most out of any team in the league. So I was like, you know, hey, there's no point in coming because I know you're not going to miss a regular season game. And, yep. you know. We're going to be going our way to February, so, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of time, a lot of traveling, and a lot of money. Um, so, you know, just really take your time, relax. It's okay. I'll get my feet wet. She'll be here for the, the, the 17th, well, the game on the 19th, and and, uh, and she's going to the one in Green Bay. But I was like, you know, it's the first one. Uh, just let me get my feet wet. I would love to have you here, but there's no need. You just say February, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, yep. You just February. kind of casually drop that in like it's no big deal? <laughs> Okay. I like it. I absolutely love it. That's the kind of confidence we're looking for. Hey, Derek, seriously, a pleasure uh, to talk to you again. We've really enjoyed watching you and getting a chance to get to know you a little bit as well. And uh, looking forward to seeing you on Thursday night and beyond all the way to February, man. Thank you. Thank you all so much. You have a great day. All right. There you go. There's Derek Hall. uh, Definitely my favorite new Seahawk. I really enjoy him. I've liked talking to him both times, Brock. Uh Every time I've been out of practice, he 100% stands out. You can't not notice him. For his size, speed, and he just seems to be doing all the right things. Do you think you could do it? I, I know when you were wearing the, you know, some of the managerial hats, you, you had to sit in different meetings and and you know hire and all of that hiring. Like, do you think you could honestly do that? Do what in the NFL level where you're just not taken by guys? 
Like I think I said this after the draft when we talked to a number of these young men. Like oh. I don't know how Schneider and Kirshner and Pete and these guys do it. Like you just you, you're gonna fall for dudes. Like you that, that guy meet you just you're in his camp. Mm-hmm. Like I, I want that guy, you know, <laughs> because there's a. a he walks that line beautifully between cocky and confident mm-hmm. and to wear shorts like that. You know, you kind of make fun of it, but then you think these are grown men. Oh, there. no, it's like, awesome. Yes. Like it's you, you. it's ridiculous, but also that he has the confidence to do that. It's it's amazing. If you can own that, you're unbelievable. I think we chatted with Brian Harson, right? The coach at Auburn who said, like, I mean, one of my favorites chatted with uh, uh, Cole Cube, like one of my favorite. I mean, just these these guys, I, I love following yeah. them and. Yeah, you get captivated by – because not just – you know, sometimes you, you, these guys get scripts, right? They know what to say, and their mm-hmm. agents tell them what to say, and you can feel that in the run-up to the draft and even maybe after the draft to press conferences. But that's now the second time we've sat down with them. And you want to just talk about authenticity and genuineness that oozes out. And yep. as I said, that perfect line of cocky and confident, well, and, which is what this crew and needs. And based on what we've seen in practice, no, he hasn't done it in a game yet or anything like that, Duke can really play. Running hits, so right? I run I mean, a hit. Like he, I run a hit. Seems, What's it been like? I run a hit. Well, how about when the pads come? I run a hit. How about the mock game? I run a hit. What do you want from me? I run pretty, a hit. He's pretty good at those things. I got to tell you, when he gets to the real games, he's going to start taking guys What's to the ground. Been like? I run a hit. Yeah. <laughs> Brock, did you ever call it thudding it up? Thudding it up. Oh yeah, you thud him up. Love that. Did Brock yeah. ever do that? Yeah, that sounds very natural coming out of Brock's mouth. Yeah, yeah of course. Of course, that's the kind of words Brock would use. No, Brock yelled things like "blue eighty-eight," and we're going to hear it right now. This is Brock and Sox Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Saul. Brock, you know, I always try to figure out who you're going to answer for some of these questions more. And Justin, I tried to figure this out this morning, uh-huh. and we couldn't figure out who couldn't the answer to this one out? is. No. Nope. Really? Who is one Seahawk whose name we've not mentioned in two weeks that we thought we would mention a lot more? Do you want a hint? Yeah. You want a hint? I want a hint. You. I want a I hint. Think, I think if I give you a hint, you're going to get the answer, but I'll give you a hint. Well, give me a hint where I won't necessarily get the answer. That's how uh, hints are supposed to work. Lewis Riddick. Lewis Riddick. Uh, that didn't help. That didn't help. Cameron huh? Young. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Lewis Riddick on the Dan oh, Patrick Show. Is it Anthony Bradford? Uh-huh. Lewis Riddick goes on the Dan Patrick right. Show yes. and is talking about a fourth-round guard. Yep. Seahawks drafted. Good point. And you know Dan Patrick and his producer and people are like, what are we doing here? Right. We're talking <laughs> about a fourth-round guard. Can we, can we talk about Devin Witherspoon? No, I want to tell you about this fourth-round guard from LSU. Why haven't this we talked a, about him? This dude's a man-eater. This dude moves the line of scrimmage. This dude's going to be a baller. I'm a little surprised we haven't talked about him. And, and I don't know if, you know, remember, he missed just a little bit of time with the OTA. He's got, you know, his head dinged, a little car accident. I, I didn't hear anything negative that he came back heavy or not in shape or anything like that. But we thought of a bunch of the competitions, we would hear the name Anthony Bradford. Over the first two weeks of camp, I would have lost some money because I would have bet we would have heard Pete Carroll or, or somebody, Geno Smith, or somebody up front, you know, uh, Dre Jones talking about that dude from LSU, man. That, that's a grown man. That's a man eater. And we really haven't yet. And, and I think what you're finding is this is a more complex system than the one at LSU. This is, there's, there, you know, you just heard a window in with it right there with Derek Hall talking about tendencies 
in alignment, in formations, in the tempo with which Geno plays, the tempo with which this offense moves. There's also a reason. As smart as Olu is, in as many systems as he played in, in a pro-style system at Michigan, there's a reason behind, he's behind Evan. Because these pros that have time on task move at a different pace. Bill Haynes been here four years, been in the system, right? He's not going to relinquish this. He got paid in the offseason. He's on a one-year prove-a-deal. And, hey, hey, Brooke, I don't care how physically talented you are mentally. I got a leg up on you. And I think that's a big reason why we've not heard a ton of that name even though Lewis Riddick would really like us to be talking about. <laughs> well, maybe it's a long-term thing. Question number two. All right, so now the uh, NFL Network is done with its top 100 list. It all is voted on by the players. Geno finishes as the number 12 quarterback in the league based on their votes. Why do they see him higher than maybe some people in the media do? Yep, because they play against him and they watch the tape because they see it and they feel it. And the former player, Mark Schlereth, I like this. I want to hear this. This was with Wyman and Bob yesterday talking. Remember, Mark is inside now. Mark is inside those walls. He's even in their weight room lifting for crying out loud. I never got to, well, I snuck some pull-ups in every once in a while. Uh, but here's Schlereth talking about what maybe surprised the Seahawks and certainly players around the league with Gino. I think the one thing, having a bunch of conversations with Pete about Gino is, I think even they were surprised to a degree, like, the arm talent, his ability to spin it, like he can, he's got a hose now. He can flat spin it and he can throw it to anywhere on the football field. I think he's got, you know, a lot better arm talent than I think anybody really kind of even realized. And then, you know, he is, he, he's, he's got great touch on the football. It was Fitz magic last year, right? The cut that we enjoyed playing about mid season. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick there at Amazon and was on a podcast talking about when he was with Gino. <laughs> and he was asked about, man, of all the talented guys, of all the QBs you played with. And he's like, I'm not that surprised. I mean, I am because you needed to see it in game action. I am because of the bumps in the road early in Gino's career. But as far as just a pure passer, you heard Fitzpatrick was one of the first players to be like, this. I'm telling you, man, this guy throws a beautiful ball. He just spins it. He creates that spiral and that spin very, very naturally. And then with that, a little confidence. I would say, and we'll talk to Schlereth about this in 40 minutes when he's off his show and he's in studio with us. I would say the thing that surprised me the most was not the pretty ball. I'd watched him throw. Not the touch. You know, Russell's one of the best in the game, so that always got overshadowed with Geno's deep ball, but he could always throw the deep ball. I think what surprised me the most was his awareness. Because if you don't have awareness, you don't get to showcase that. It's, it's you know, again, not to just always be a baseball, now that I'm a baseball guy and baseball right. analogies. I'm a baseball guy, yeah. But it's like a, a pitcher that has, you know, gets ahead in the count. Now you can showcase what you can do. Now I can command this stuff. Now I own you. And as Gino grew in confidence in that awareness, we got to see it come to life. Then you got to really see his command of a football, his spin, his touch. His spiral, his catchability of his football is awesome. There's guys with really strong arms. Receivers don't like playing catch with them. Receivers like catching Geno's ball. He throws a, a tight ball, a softball, an accurate ball. Yeah, and that talent we saw it on display from beginning to end last year. All right, question number three. Back to this college football mess here in the Pac-12. We heard some rumors yesterday about Cal and Stanford. Where do you think those two schools end up? Come on, man. The ACC... Are we out of our ever-living skulls? The ACC for Stanford and Cal? 
I mean, count the cost, as Eli Drinkwood said. At least Washington and Oregon have USC and UCLA, right? I mean, at least you do have a West Coast present. At least you have, you know, a central time zone with with Iowa and with Nebraska and Minnesota. Like, you can set those things up. That flight from Minneapolis to Seattle is not San Francisco to Charlotte and then on to... Demon Deaconville, like Winston Salem. What what are we talking about? Like this, that, that is a non-starter. Now, academically, it makes Virgi- more sense than the than academically the Big 12. Virginia, Duke, Wake Forest. North I get Carolina. it. Academically, I get it. Basketball, hey man, Stanford, Cal, yeah. especially women's basketball. Like, hey, I, I get it. But for all of the other sports and for football, can you imagine the crowd when? I don't know. Wake Forest comes and plays at Stanford. There'll be 42 people there. Get out of here. Ain't going to happen. <laughs> that is today's version of Blue Even Marshawn AA. Lynch is dropping F-bombs thinking about that. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It makes more sense in the Big 12, though. There's no way. Can I we just, talk to I, Marshawn I about what's happened to Cal? Can we? Yeah. Uh, no. Justin, why don't you... Pro- bo- probably Justin. not, no. Justin, book that yeah, right after that Eddie Vedder. All Eddie, right? Eddie Vedder's actually going to call in for us, so it's going it's it's to be, be a wild week. I honestly want to say that that clip of Marshawn on that Friday night, and it was like his bobblehead night when he was driving mm-hmm. around on the golf cart, and they were celebrating that. And I honestly, as, as much as Chris Peterson said to us yesterday, the deterioration, you could feel it. To me, that was the final stamp on the envelope. Like, mail this to Disasterville. When Marshawn says to the sideline reporter and, and drops that F word, like, yeah. what is going on here? Like, this is not Strawberry Canyon. This is not the cow that I grew up watching and playing. They cared. What has happened to West Coast football? And to me, that was the death knell. K-N-E-L-L. Oh, good. Look at you. Right you, got, you got your spelling there. right. That's very nice to see. All right. Coming up, Brock, we'll uh, get back to some more football conversation. Quite a bit of it, actually, in the 8 o'clock hour. Mark Schlereth will join us at 8.30 in studio. Before we get it, we're on to number 14 on our most intriguing Seahawks list. And if this guy works out, it might have the single biggest effect on what this team truly needs. That's Whoa. next. I'm Brock and Salk.